G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 87 of the Outback Mine podcast. so much for joining in episode 87 I have matthew elliott along with me today nrl legend uh coached over 400 games uh basically for uh, well, a long period of time there um most uh most of note was uh his work with the canberra raiders uh and also penrith panthers new zealand warriors he's now involved with st george Illawarra uh as an assistant and uh Maddie's got a, a really beautiful story. Um, basically, before he became a coach, he was a player, uh, played um, with St. George. But um, ever since he sort of moved out of full-time NRL, uh, he's become, uh, I suppose, really passionate about uh, helping people change their lives and their well-being through his organisation called The Change Room. So they provide mentoring and they provide uh, resilience programs um, through... The support of ex-NRL players, but also others that can bring uh, value and lived experience to uh, their programs to help other people um, create self-awareness and make changes in their lives. So, Maddie's really passionate about this. He's had his own sort of journey with his um, with his health and uh, was able to turn that around. And we're going to hear a lot about that today and sort of how you know stress and anxiety, intention, all these sorts of things uh, lead to uh, I suppose poor levels of self awareness, but also how that can actually affect our physical health and how if we're not careful, we don't um, or we we basically fall into a trap of. Uh, of disease and um, we don't really want that this uh, this whole podcast around trying to help people build um, some self-awareness practices but also resilience to be able to um, avoid any uh, physical and mental issues that usually are you know are commonly popping up in modern society today so uh, Matt's gonna obviously help us with uh, some advice and some tips and tricks with uh, what he's been able to learn throughout his own journey managing men but also managing his own physical and mental health and what he's been able to do to uh, get things back into balance and how he keeps himself physically and mentally well. So I'm sure you're going to uh, enjoy this conversation. Just want to make special mention to our uh, primary partners, Green Nutritionals, who provide green organic superfoods. So I really encourage you to check out their website, uh, greennutritionals.com.au. Also Pure Life Bakery, who provides uh, sprouted breads um basically when our grains in our breads are sprouted our digestion works on much or much better so when our digestion's working well our, our mental health works better and um, i really encourage you to check out their products uh they're available all around australia purelifebakery.com.au all righty listening uh, listening to Matt, maddie and i going at it i'm sure you're gonna really get a lot from this chat um and really appreciate your feedback matthew elliott welcome to the outback mind podcast Thanks, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. Yeah, no worries, mate. Um, look, uh, really, really interesting journey you've had um, from day one all the way through to, to now through your career, mate. But uh, I didn't realise that you were actually born on Thursday Island. Yeah, my dad was a, uh, a, a pilot, a ship pilot up there, and my mum was a nurse. And Yeah, so I, I was only there until I was three, but my, my siblings just spent a lot of time there and I still feel very connected. My first carer was from from TI, and yeah, so it was a 
it was a, a gift. Looking forward to getting back there soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I I uh, was lucky years ago. I spent um, a lot of time working in Indigenous communities throughout the top end there, and uh, just to see you know people living in their pure you know natural environment and. Um, the ability to be able to live, you know, quite freely was uh, was was really unique. Sort of coming through the, you know, the traditional model of, of living here in Western society and going through the school system and, and all that. Just seeing you know, people running around with smiles on their face, uh, um, you know, really really was one of the the wake up calls I had um, with being able to sort of uh, understand myself a little bit better and what was important and also. Um, you know, what sort of it was that made people happy, I guess, and, and they're living in their, their true environment up there, which is great. Yeah, our First Nations people understand the connection to country and, you know, and how they pass stories, you know, through a, what was a highly functional uh, community before, um, you know, we showed up. Um, yeah. There's a lot to be learned, on, you know, around the topic that we're going to discuss today on 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 how their time as practices are uh, really relevant um you know there's some you know and it's not confined to their culture that what, what we've learned is across all cultures they, they they've used a lot of these practices but you know when when you see that you know people connected to country like they are and 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 you utilizing the, you know, the listening skills that are you know ingrained in what they do it's that's where the smiles come from mate yeah, absolutely, and and we've only been you know here uh, as white man for two hundred and fifty years, and you look at um, obviously uh, the, in, the indigenous cultures in America and, and other parts of the world, and uh, you know what they actually did um, to to keep themselves physically and mentally well, but obviously the connection they have with the you know with spirit and the universe and all those sorts of things and those innate knowings that they actually had that. Uh, We've sort of become distant from now, but I just believe that people are starting to come back to that simplicity again. And um, you know, we'll, we'll obviously dive uh, deeply into that as we as we go here, mate. But um, really interesting to sort of hear uh, you know your journey with regards to obviously you know you're leaving Ti, sort of moving to Townsville, and how you actually found your way into playing football, and and how it sort of you know created a, a career for you. Oh well, well, there's not really much choice where I grew up. Very, <laughs> but I was I was blessed. I grew up just out uh, in a suburb just outside Downsville called Palarenda, mm-hmm. and I probably and it was surrounded by a national park. And we lived on on the ocean, and um, yeah, I had a bunch of you know young young kids that you know there would have been twenty of us to use either side, and we played in the spare allotment, mate. That was. Cricket in summer and footy, touch footy in, in winter. And mm. my dad was my footy coach. And, you know, I, again, I was just so blessed and so fortunate to play in the, the junior team that I played in. It was just, you know, a, a bunch of great guys that, you know, from all different backgrounds and learned a fair bit off them, actually. So mm. uh, it wasn't really a, I'm going to be a footy player and this is my career forever. It was, this is just so much fun, to be honest. Mm, you really enjoyed it, yeah, yeah. So, so how did it evolve for you? Obviously, Townsville weren't in the NRL then, but you sort of come through the junior ranks. And when were you identified as a young fella to be able to sort of maybe go to another level? I don't think I was, to be honest, Aaron. <laughs> um, as I say, I you know I made reps here and there, but no, I probably 
my footy career sort of really took. I was more a cricketer as a young kid. I made all you know Queensland teams and stuff like that as a as a young kid as a cricketer. Mm. Um, my footy career kind of took off when I moved to to lose more to go to uni, and um, yeah, I I lied. I put my age up because I didn't want to get under 18 money. I was a uni student. I wanted to get first grade money, and mm. so. Um, I shouldn't confess that, should I? But that's the truth of it. Um, well, people used to put their age up to go to war, mate. They were invited for it. So please forgive me for, for being dishonest in those days. And yeah, I just, you know, I don't know what happened. I was probably a little bit of a late bloomer. And I guess as an underdeveloped 18 year old playing, well, just not quite 18, playing playing first grade footy and then all of a sudden realising I could compete uh, gave me a lot of confidence and yeah, slowly found my way into, into, into higher levels of footy when I came to Sydney. Yeah, unbelievable. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, there's another Matthew Allard that was a cr- famous cricketer and, um, uh, yeah, obviously he might be a bit younger than you, but... Um, Certainly, you could have made your way as a cricketer, I guess, as well, if you had that sort of ability and the capability back then. But obviously, there was something in NRL and the combat that really you know, drew you towards the game. Yeah, again, Aaron, the, the truth is, is that I, I played first grade cricket in Sydney, mm. and I wasn't going to play footy. And a, a guy that was playing in third grade uh, played for Bondi United, and he said, You want to come to play footy? And I said, Yeah, I want to play footy with him. And, I got called up because Bondi United obviously was in the Roosters area, um, East Suburbs as it was called in those days. And um, yeah, I, I got called up to under 23s um, from playing park City, to be honest with you. So it wasn't deliberate. It wasn't something I set out to do. Um, I'm one of those people that there's some people that have really clear goals in life and that's what they wanted to do. I, I've kind of lived a life by accident, mate. Mm. If I'm in, entirely honest, then, yeah, just, again, I, I got the opportunity and I allowed that opportunity to, to grow and yeah, I, I went and played in France for a couple of years and came back and ended up at the Dragons. So it, was, it wasn't a direct route and something I was recruited for, chased for, was, I just got lucky, to be honest. Yeah, unbelievable, mate. You, you, you had a gift as a young fella to be able to just go with the flow of life by the sounds of it and just let things evolve for you. You weren't forcing things and um, that, that, that is a gift in its, in, in, its effort, in its essence, you know, um, to be able to do that. A lot, of, a lot of young guys are really driven and have a, a real strong agenda on where they want to go and that attachment can sometimes, uh, sometimes cause suffering too. But, yeah, it sounds like you were, um, you were really prepared just to see what life threw up at you. Yeah, it's probably, obviously, there's, there's been a change in, in approach over a period of time and I don't think that that would happen too often anymore. The, you know, the, as I say, the, the opportunities that came my way, I, I, I love I loved city and I really wanted to be you know, successful and have a good career. I didn't have a long career, but I, I certainly wanted to, to play at that level. But I don't know if you could do it that way now. Mm. Um, and... I wish I could say it was orchestrated and I, you know, I just was a free spirit and all that sort of stuff. But honestly, that wouldn't be, be, be genuine. 
Um, yeah. uh, it just think opportunities arrived, and I, I happened to be in the right place at the right time, occasionally. Yeah. And you know, I took those opportunities. I look, I love playing at the Dragons, but I had two years of France playing footy over there was was also a highlight of my sporting um, experiences. That's for sure. Sorry, mate. Might just get you to pull the microwave away from the face a bit. It's a bit muffled there, but um, um, that was at the Bradford Bulls. Is that right? No, no. I played in France um, for a club called Le Ponte. I coached in, in England at the Bradford Bulls for five years, but right. my time in my time as a player in France, and uh, which was eighty eight, eighty nine, was yeah, you know, was just fantastic. Amazing. Mm, it would have been back then, mate, and, and obviously the uh, the young French girls would have been a pretty uh, much of a highlight too, I'd imagine. So, well, I went over there with my partner, mate. So <laughs> I I just had to um I had to observe that from from a distance. But yeah, my first daughter was conceived in France, so ah, again, that, that that kind of made it a special experience as well. Yeah, unbelievable, mate. Uh, well, obviously, as a young man, to be able to have that experience um, would have been you know, tremendous for you. And and coming back, uh, obviously, to you know get involved with footy here, it's really interesting. How old were you when you first started coaching with Canberra? So I I. Finished playing at 28. Yep. Um, and I got taken straight on the coaching staff by Brian Smith. At, well, I had to retire because I had bad knees. Um, and I went straight on the coaching staff at uh, St. George. Mm-hmm. Um, from St. George, I went to um, overseas to England with Brian Smith and then ended up being the head coach of Bradford Bull. And then I came back to Canberra. So it was a... You know, it was a I had a lot of success as a coach in, in the UK and and I had the opportunity to coach in the NRL was obviously a dream come true and and the, my experience in Canberra was just a wonderful one. Great group of people. The club certainly wasn't a powerhouse in those days, but it was a you know, a club that was doing everything they possibly could to to find success. And we you know, we we made the semi finals I think all about one year I was there but it was um, it was a great experience. Mm, absolutely, um, yeah. Like a, a new environment, a new club, uh, I suppose, and so forth too. And uh, and just trying to find their way. And I've been really, uh, you know, obviously interested in regional, um, you know, regional clubs, so to speak, coming into main leagues. Like you know, obviously Townsville and um, you know Canberra and obviously Melbourne coming into the NRL and all that, and how that sort of evolved because it was such a strong. Uh, thing being, you know, a Sydney competition, but much like the AFL, you know, being Melbourne and then obviously branching out into Sydney and uh, Adelaide and uh, and Perth and so forth, and just how that sort of integrated. Did you find it challenging with Canberra, sort of, uh, you know, with all the travel and so forth there, um, to be able to sort of, you know, get consistency and so forth as well? No, I mean, obviously Canberra's not a huge distance away from Sydney and. You know, the travel was always something that was a, a part of the adventure of being involved in the NRL and the players embrace it. And the way that it's done these, you know, even during the time that I was at Canberra, was done professionally and we were always there the night before. And yeah. and you know, even sometimes we took light aircraft on the day. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a major challenge, that, that's for sure. So... 
And I think in the grey and regional areas also, you know, and this is part of what the message that you're sharing is, is that you know, those regional areas is quite often the foundation of passion, you know, for sport where, where people, you know, really get to, again, like I did, get to run around in, in spare allotments and, and playing fields where just with their mates and, and their friends and, and, um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that there was any challenges associated to the logistics around playing and all that sort of stuff. There's certainly challenges related to, you know, to winning on a consistent basis because it's such an elite competition. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, when I was in Tassie years ago, we had a, a team join the VFL and, Mate, that was just so good for the community. You know, just to have a, a focal point where the whole state could come together and, and support one one club and one team. And, um, you know, obviously there's trying to, well, there's been a, a big push to have an AFL club um, introduced down there. Um, and it still hasn't happened, unfortunately. But I just believe that would be a, uh, such a tremendous thing for the state. And it's interesting, you know, you, you spent time in, in New Zealand as well, um, coaching the, the Warriors there. Um, was that really well supported by the whole the whole um, community, the whole country, uh, to be able to be part of such a you know a strong uh, rugby league um, organisation and, and sort of you know be able to participate at that level? Absolutely, and the scrutiny on that team's you know really high, and you know I didn't re- really have a great understanding of New Zealand, but it's such a wonderful place, and the culture there, and the people there are super passionate about. Uh, about their sport and about, you know, and there's, there's certainly there's a lot of pride attached to it. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the Warriors, you know, continue to grow. And there's so much talent in New Zealand. Um, they're, they're, they're very, very much an outdoor culture. And and I'm looking forward to, you know, we're obviously seeing, I think, of the NRL, the amount of uh, players of Polynesian background is now nearly at, at 50 percent of the game and that'll continue to rise and the amount of of you know, as i say talent in new zealand and the amount of time they spend outdoors rather than sitting behind devices and just playing sport in, in their local parks is is something to behold and it's a part of their you know their cultural um approach to life and yeah so it was a it was a fantastic experience a great experience mm, no doubt yeah, definitely right, and and you know, geez, we're we're diving deep into the uh, into the pure essence of uh, of humanity uh, here, aren't we? We're sort of talking about the, the 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 cultures that are you know that are innately connected with the land, like like you experience as a young fellow, and obviously the the Polynesians and the uh, New Zealanders and a lot of those Islander people, like they just have such. Um, uh, beautiful uh, awareness to 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 their country and and what that can actually bring to their their physical and mental well being. Yeah, you know, and I, I think the other thing I'd add to that is is that all cultures have you know um, amazing attribute attributes, and what we get to do with modern life now is instead of looking at you know what's wrong with certain approaches to life, is is that. You know, if, if we can learn off each other and and merge this stuff in the you know a functional way of existing, you know, there's there's so much amazing opportunity that needs to be taken. Um, mm. Obviously, you know, around one of the topics that we're talking about, you know, and 
in personal health, but also in the way that we, we're looking after the, the, the place that we live in. Mm. Um, all, those, all those areas of strength certainly have the capacity to come together and, and, and help us lead, lead a really functional life, mate. There's no doubt about it. So moving sort of um, ahead a bit, sort of coming out of the NRL system, uh, you, you may have had a bit of a break there. Um, and obviously getting involved with the, uh, the wonderful, wonderful organisation that you founded with John Daly being the change room, what sort of brought that on? Did you have a, a few health problems yourself that, uh, that made you um, sort of, you know, I suppose, wake up a little bit and maybe uh, re- redirect the way that you were living? Um, well, it was, it was funny. I was doing personal coaching for, you know, and leadership and culture stuff for, for certain companies and individuals and, uh, John and his partner at the time called me into their business and I was doing work with them. I guess I did have a, a, an autoimmune disease. None of us that, that I, I was able to, to address in 2012 through, uh, through one of the mentors of the change room that I use now, Anthony Minicello, yeah. and the diet approach, he took to heal himself. And that autoimmune disease is no longer you know, detectable. I know I can bring it back if I change my lifestyle back to the way it was. Mm. Um, I guess that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me when, when I was starting to look in corporate organisations and starting to deal with high-level executives is that there was a... Even though these people and companies were massively impressive, that there was a lot of dysfunction in their life. Mm. And sports people and rugby league players are stereotyped in, in a certain way and they, they buy into that as well but the, the thing that's missed is, is that they are they have to be leading edge as far as that their approach to their, their mind and their body and their, in their preparation and if they're not the, the team comes last mm. so I guess what I, I started doing was using that leading edge approach that supporting organisations utilise because it's not high performance, it's actually human performance. Yeah. And what we started to see, I thought it would work, and it started as a preventative program um, at, a, at a private high school in Sydney um, because they had some, you know, they had some um, mental health tragedies in the school and, and we started to take the whole of the what we started to do, we started to move from a concept of we think this will work to actually seeing that it did work and the and the, the scientific validation behind nutritional approach and and mindset approach and, and things that you can do, you know, around human connections. We started to to see manifest in, in healing and we see that we saw it start to really see the the, the amount of cases go down in schools as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely, mate. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting, you know, uh, uh, a, a guy I know quite well, two guys, uh, Trevor Henney and Scott Waters, um, they started an organisation called Life Changer to really go into that school system and start to re-divert uh, uh, the way that young people sort of, you know, thought, think and, or think, think and feel and, um, you know, obviously to be able to build resilience and, uh, and self-awareness practices that, um, that, that can really help them. And the education system 
is great in many ways, but it does sort of, you know, gear a young guy to be sort of, you know, quite fearful or a young girl to be quite fearful and that can take them away from um, from getting uh, to, to understand who they really are. And, yeah, that would have been a, a really interesting process, obviously, to be able to, you know, obviously arrest the, the issues that they have with suicide, which can be a really tricky thing uh, for young people at that age. But um, to be able to give them hope and uh, some understanding of... Um, of how they can um, they change they they can change their lives would have been a really nice uh, experience for you to uh, to sort of get you to where you are now and, and the other programs you've been able to deliver from there. Yeah, well, look it's, again, it's not high high performance or it's not um, uh, adolescent performance; it's human performance. Mm. So what you know, and it's, that's I guess, and it's certainly uh, Trevor Handy's approach to it. I, I really endorse as well is is that. It, we're a system, so what I mean by that is if, if you've got a heart problem, you've got a problem with your whole body. Mm. If you've got what is called a mental health problem, which is not a term I'm overly fond of, um, mm. um, you have a problem with your whole body. Mm. So, you know, if you've, got a, if you've got a bleeding toe, even though it's isolated to your toe, if you don't address it, you'll have a problem with your whole body. We're a system. So there's a, our, our system allows us to have a whole lot of break-in points, but our system also needs exactly what you said there, Aaron. Our system needs to be um, you know, nurtured across all areas and how we think, how we feel and what we do. Yeah. And it, it's, it's really important that you know, our mental, physical and our emotional capacities are, are observed. And our education system... Um, probably is starting to turn its attention to that, but mm. you know the foundation of it was more about learning stuff of how we can think and improve ourselves, um, you know, in in an intellectual way. Mm. Um, times have changed, and obviously we used to have time well after school and away from learning to to look at our you know our, or pursue our things that we're passionate about, people's attention is fairly well diverted a lot of the time these days away from, you know, away from how they feel and, or, or, or what they need to do and so they get, they get a little bit trapped. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm really, really passionate about um, helping uh, people of all ages connect to the heart and, you know, get that coherence again and if you can really tap into that, then you know, your self-awareness really improves and uh, you become more peaceful and kind to yourself and peaceful and kind to others. And, um, um, yeah, I, I've done, you know, work in, in schools uh, and just really observed the tension that's in a young year, year 11 or 12-year-old um, and, you know, just how stressed and tense and anxious they can actually be, you know, and all of a sudden they sort of follow that into uni and they follow it into work life and, and really they'll hit 30, 40, 50 and disease will start to happen because they haven't uh, been able to get to know themselves. And, you know, you're, you're, you're obviously catching people at the other end now that are, that are getting to a stage where they are feeling, you know, a little bit out of alignment and um, at least uh, people are, uh, you know, more aware of, um, of opening up to, to well-being solutions and strategies rather than just using, you know, a beer can to uh, to deal with things, I suppose, which has, you know, been common practice for many years. Yeah, that's a really good description of it, Aaron, that's for sure. And I guess, guess the field that my business works in now is 
you know, we we work in workers' comp predominantly, but we also do preventative programs for in industries that have you know experienced exactly what you're talking about. You know, and, and we you know, people with psych injuries and physical injuries tend to confront a lot of the same challenges when they can't uh, any longer do what they were always highly competent at and that that's a wear down approach and mm. yeah giving them an understanding uh, that's the first thing is is that i i think and i'm a very very strong um believer in what i call an integrated approach so my background's in sports science and and but if i'm a if i'm an exercise physiologist and someone comes to me with a sprained ankle or an ankle issue, I'll say, go and see the doctor, get scanned, come back so we know what we're working at. Mm. So that then allows me to make sure that I'm not going to make the injury worse. But if he just went, to, if the person just went to see the doctor and then got, you know, medication for that, well, the injury recovery is going to take longer. Mm. So, you know, merging, merging um, expertise is really important. And I don't think that's done that well in what we call mental health, personally. Yeah. I think that there's a, there's a very, very divided approach. There's a holistic approach of, you know, where, where we, we talk about people having, you know, heart coherence and your mindfulness and understanding, you know, what their emotions do to them and, and what, what, the, what that can do over a sustained period. And then we have a, a clinical approach for those very, very rarely intersect, and it's it's something that that divided approach uh, creates uncertainty, and I don't don't think it's the the best way for us. Yeah, to, well, to well said. The issue. So, so, so go ahead. Well, I don't think it's the best way for us to address the issue, and you know we're spending more on this this area we call mental health, and. You know, we're, we're putting more resources into it, but still the results are getting worse. Yeah. So what and, and I don't think that's because what we're doing is wrong. I just don't think we, you know, as a an industry around this, I don't think we're all stepping back and going, okay, first of all, something here is not working the way we know it needs to. So how about we sit down and let's work out uh, a collective approach on how, how to address this? And because... If that, if that ever happens, and I, I, I pray that it does, you will see that the, the issue that we're encountering like in, you know, in modern society will certainly start to decrease rather than continue to increase. Yeah, well said, mate. Um, look, I'll, I'll share something with you. I, I've just come, come out of a um, you know, government role uh, doing mental health work, uh, coaching primarily, and... Um, I'm trying to swim with the tide and they're pulling me against the tide consistently, you know. Um, I think the system uh, in general has got to have a, you know, a rethink and, and, and the way they actually approach things. Um, uh, the clinical model uh, is good in some ways, but it's too dominant. Um, you know, trying to keep people medicated or get them on medication maybe not be the, uh, the, the, the solution in, in, in many cases. I just believe that... Um, if there's imbalance, you know, look at why that imbalance is there. Um, be able to sort of, you know, heal from the, the ground up and then help the individual um, support them on their way to, to be able to develop um, practices that they can bring into their daily life, which can, which can actually give them, 
you know, uh, emotional stability and emotional balance again. And when that part of the, the, the human is working well, as you said, it's a whole body thing. Everything sort of starts to come back into, into line again. And, you know, when the mind's settled, the body's calm, the breath becomes sort of more in, into a flow state. And when, when that is all working together, then all of a sudden, you know, disease can't really survive. And, and when your diet's you know, uh, really acidic, then your body's going to be forcing against that and, you know, your mind's going to be um, out of whack. So to be able to give people tools to be able to, you know, one, get their blood more alkaline, but also get their, their body and mind in alignment again, I think is really the, the, the way to go. Yeah, and that's, that's really what our program, The Change Room, works around, Aaron. And I think that, that there's one key thing that you said in there that I think people should grab hold of giving people tools mm. that you can use in your life. So uh, I think that that's... And, you know, so in the program that we do, we teach people you know, how to eat better, how to breathe better, how to sleep better, how to move better, how to exercise, how to understand and, and moderate their emotional capacities and state, how to connect with people better. Mm. Now, we don't tell people to grab hold of all of that. You know, it's, you've got to find your breaking point and the tools that go with that. So for some people it might be, okay, I know if I can get my breathing right and my, and my sleep a lot better, I'll wake up and I'll have more energy. So I'm more likely to exercise the next day or, or have, make better decisions because I have clarity of thought. Mm. Some people do it through, through eating. Now, we, we all are individuals, so we all have our own breaking points. But by making people understand that they don't have to do everything on on that scale, they just have to choose a couple of things, and here's the tools that go away that that are scientifically validated. You've got to use the word science these days, mm. unfortunately, because even though the timeless practices that we talked about at the beginning of this, mm. you know, people the modern language of engagement these days is science. People want to know the science behind it. Yeah. Um, so is giving people tools to support, first of all, the clinical approach, but ultimately, whether you've got, a, again, a heart condition, a sprained ankle or a mental health condition, you don't want to have to be going to the doctor for the rest of your life, right? Yes. You just want to you want allow the clinical side of things to address the symptoms and give you some momentum so that you don't need to use it anymore. Yeah. I think that I'm, I'm quite sure that is a medical model, medical model that was developed. Oh, I agree, mate. Well, science has only been around for a couple of hundred years, you know. Um, uh, you know, re- realistically, uh, yeah, you know, with what you've just mentioned there, um, yeah. Look, if you've got a sprained ankle, um, heal it. If you have depression or anxiety, you know, maybe heal it. Like I saw so much evidence of people that were on medication for 5, 10, 15, 20 years or more, you know, consistently and always upping the dose and changing this and changing that, you know. So I don't see that as being success at the end of the day, you know. You're keeping someone pacified, but if you can show people ways to, to, to develop, um, um, you know, harmony with with body and mind and uh, and connection with themselves at a higher level i just think then then all those sorts of imbalances can heal and smiles start to come on their face again you know and um 
when you when you're really forcing against the physi- physiology of the body, uh, it can uh, become a, a bit of a trap, and uh, you get sort of caught up on those. Uh, merry-go-rounds of maybe medication, poor eating, uh, all those sorts of things. You know, I never once saw um, Wayne, uh, sorry, um, uh, with regards to, to, to this sort of stuff, you know, no, there was never any question about diet. You know, people are still drinking Coke and going to Maccas and, um, and all those sorts of things. But, um, you, you know, Matthew, I just think that... Uh, you know all that sort of uh, all that sort of stuff's got to be explored and, and help people understand that you know there's some things in their life which may be contributing to the to the uh, for the physical problems the, the mental problems and so forth and be able to get that back to balance again I think can really change the human and, and get back to um, to to the way I suppose uh, you know we're meant to be living and that's thriving not just surviving yeah and Again, I take you all that I, I agree wholeheartedly with those comments. Uh, but I take you back to you've got to give people tools to move from, again, the, the initial, there's initial trauma. And I don't, I don't know anyone, my, my, my hair colour now and my, my birth certificate. I, you know, I've had a lot of people that have had really good lives, but I don't know anyone. I've never encountered anyone that doesn't have some sort of uh, challenge during their life. Yeah. So, it, it, and we're so fortunate that there's a techniques and approaches that can help us overcome those challenges really quickly. Mm. And that is the clinical and medical model. But as you said, to move past that, you need tools. Now, I, I, the sprained ankle is a really good analogy. I, I, I can get tools to make my ankle better and and I can go away and, and rehab that after I've got the, the, the medical or the clinical advice on it. But on the emotional side of things and the mental side of things, um, those tools aren't as readily available and, and, and a lot of them uh, aren't explained in a way that people, that engage people. A lot of the people you know, of my gender and of my cultural background, see that as some of that is woo-woo, mm. but there is a way of explaining it. You know, I work with a lot of uh, police one-on-one, and there is a way of explaining this stuff that doesn't create a reluctance or to, to actually pursue this approach. And that's something that, again, that that divide I talked about before is we we you know there, there is a middle part of this. There's there's the very, very extreme woo-woo side of it, mm. and people have made it that way. Yeah. And then there's the very extreme clinical side of it, and people have made that. But there's middle ground on this. Mm. And what we, I reckon what history's taught us is quite often that that's the most effective area, is the middle ground where you, where you're merging expertise and approaches to, to help people lead functional lives. And that's basically... And it's not that difficult once you actually understand it and you take the time to learn it. It's not a difficult thing uh, to understand. It's not always easy to do, particularly if you've got major challenges emotionally or mentally. It's not, but if you stick with it and you do the tools, it's like being losing 40 kilos. Yeah, that's not very Very few people who don't know how to lose 40 kilos. You've still got to do it. You've got to do you got to follow the approach. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, we're you know getting getting a bit more deeper with what you were saying there. Well, we're really forcing against nature, aren't we? And um, uh, I was really lucky, Matt. I, I sort of come through like bad health just because of uh, that's what society sort of told me to do every time I watched the footy or the cricket. It was about eating bad or drinking or whatever. And all of a sudden, I'm sort of nearly forty, and I'm, I'm sort of. Uh, you know, getting getting really um, crook physically and mentally, and um, I had to change that. So it was first the gym, and then you know, after moving through the fitness um, scene, you know, and, and getting myself in good nick, I started to explore more above the shoulders, and I travelled around the world and looked at the the, the eastern cultures and, and other parts um, that that were able to you know live live a calm, balanced life, and and that took me into looking at, you know, some of the, the healthier people. I went to, like, raw food retreats and festivals and got my body really, you know, really clean. And I just saw people, uh, you know, later in life that were absolutely, you know, thriving and um, um, coming back here and sort of seeing, you know, my dad and, and other people that were a bit older living in, a, in, in an environment where they're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're not as not as vibrant as what they possibly could be. And, and that was frustrating, um, you know, for me to, to, to be able to observe. Um, I, know, I know how good we can be as humans, um, you know, with, with, with some of the practices and tools that, uh, that help us thrive. But, you know, it seems to be we still, still have a system that's pushing us against uh, ourselves and denaturing us in many ways. Yeah, again, that, I can understand how that system started and there's, Again, there's a, a part of the, the commentary at the moment that that sees that as a completely negative. But there's a look, there's a, some really positive sides of, of the system, and the system, the intent behind the system was was right and was po- and, and was for a good reason. But what they what hasn't been done is, is integrating the stuff that you talked about into it. Mm. And we've ended up, you know, having to deal with a lot of uncertainty. We've had the, again, those cultures that you talked about, the, the people as they age, they, they, they take on other responsibilities in the family. So they stay connected to their families. They, they start taking responsibility for the, the younger people. Yep. In, in our culture, when people get old, you know what we do? Mm. We put them in home. There's an industry around that, yeah. So, the, you know, there's, there's some things that we just need to explore and approach. Uh, uh, and, and again, there's got to be a balance between getting this, you know, in, integrating it with the, the modern way of life. But there's certainly stuff that we can learn, just like you did from, from other cultures and other practices. And there's, there's ways of, it's not, as I say, it's not woo-woo. Mm. It's common sense, really, mm. and there's ways of, of of making this a part of people's lives that that don't really change too much. You know, their their routine. Mm. Humanology, mate, is something we all should have learned in school. You know, um, the, the functional functional tools we need to be able to 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 practice in our lives to to keep us physically and mentally well. You know. Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. You know, getting back to what you learn on on TI and and what you've seen in in just you know the pure flow of life and and being able to to stay connected with that is a 
is a, is a challenge sometimes in modern society when we're being, we're being diverted to uh, be denatured, as I said, like, you know, sit behind a desk, sit in a car for long periods of time, you know, um, you know be on a device, all those sorts of things, which really take us out of rhythm and, and balance. And what are some of the things that you, um, that you, 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 you do in your own life to keep yourself, um, you know, physically, mentally well now? Yeah, again, that's really, really simple things. Like you say, I, I have my my meditation practices that, that that I do on a daily basis. And again, as I explain those principles, is that you know my sports science background, we we load we load up physically, but we also need to recover. So taking a short amount of time every day to stop thinking mm. has a massive impact on your cognitive ability. Mm. I'm also really aware of how I feel. So, and that's not many people actually ask themselves how I'm feeling or why. Mm. And when you look at it, when we talk about the things of like depression and anxiety, you don't think depressed. You don't, you don't think anxious. That's a feeling that you have. Mm. Which, you know, that's how our reptilian brain communicates to us. Is it perceiving threat? Yes. Well, if you start asking yourself those questions, you don't have to, this is not a long practice. You don't have to sit on a mountain in a caftan and burn incense while you do it. <laughs> yeah. But if you have an awareness of how you feel and an awareness how you want to feel, it allows you to, you know, to bridge that, that gap mm. and come up with things to do it. So it's not something I walk around the whole time, you know, humming to myself. Mm. Is that you know if if I start to get the shits, for example, I, I ask myself, well, why, why am I feeling this way? Mm. So that most people, I, actually, I'll go close to hundred percent of the people that I work with, you know, in the areas of of, of mental health and have been for the last six years, and mm. you know, and the police and collective services people are a really good examples. Mm is when you ask them how they feel and ask them why they, why they feel a certain way and then ask them how they want to feel and say to them, well, how do you, how do you reckon, what's the best way of getting from where you are to where you want to be? I would say 99.9% of people have the right answer. Yeah. But they've never asked themselves that question so they don't get to answer the question. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yep. That's something I do on a daily basis. I, you know, I had an autoimmune disease and I changed the way I ate and that hasn't showed up in my life anymore. So, you know, I just, you know, I, I certainly like to enjoy a beer occasionally and I like to occasionally, you know, break out and eat whatever I like. But, you know, 80% of the time in my life I eat really well and, yeah, I, I think that those, those key areas uh, again connecting with other people making sure that I follow up with friends and that sort of stuff um, I just have a few little practices that I do on a consistent basis that you know, keep me balanced and occasionally like all humans you lose balance, you know, things happen to you externally and you lose that awareness and you know you, 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 know, you need sometimes need to get support in, in in getting yourself back to that, and that could be that could be a best mate, that could be a friend, or that could be you know uh, someone with a clinical background. You, know, you just need to be, you know, you need to have your own answers to that. 
Uh, and, and open to have the support. I guess as guys, we are really closed off with that, you know. We we don't seek help or we don't sort of ask for for guidance, um, you know, a lot. And one thing I've been able to, to, to do uh, successfully over the last few years, and particularly where I live now, is to be able to uh, bring a men's circle in. So we do a men's circle every few weeks and we just talk about all the stuff that we've discussed here, you know, and to be able to create people's awareness and... Um, and uh, you know, build up with some resilience practices so they can support themselves, but also support each other. And you know, as guys, you know, we've, uh, traditionally in this society, we've come together, you know, celebrated with beers and shit, uh, but then walked away and then gone back into our holes again. You know, and um, um, yeah, Matt, uh, to, to to have that collaboration is really really good and important, but also to be able to have the ability to. You know, develop a practice that you can do on a daily basis, which can get you grounded. Um, I think is um, is really really valuable. Yeah, and it's not a great challenge, mate. Look, I always say this when I speak is that I don't know what you do, Aaron, but it, you have, have you ever got a cleaner come to your house? A cleaner? No, I do need to get someone here though. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but have you ever had that got a cleaner in? Uh, I have previously. Yeah, yeah. What do you do before the cleaner gets there? Tidy up. There you go. Yeah. So I, I use that analogy with in the area of you know being mentally or emotionally challenged is, is that a lot of the times if, if people have got tools that they can clean up before they go and get you know support, mm. it, it, it it ends up being quite a powerful thing. And that mm. you know you don't go and clean the whole house up, you know do everything, but you just tidy up a little bit so. When the cleaner comes in, they don't think it's particularly. Yes. So it's, yeah. you know, I, I kind of feel that that's human nature, but particularly on the male side of the equation, is, is that if you can go into a situation where you can just you know, have some tools that tidy your, your, your mental and your emotional state up a little bit and then ask someone about it, it just, you just feel more empowered about it. The tools that you talked about and the stuff that you're doing with people, you know, it's really important, is, is that it's... You do that on a daily basis. Just ask yourself, how am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? Mm. It's dead set, not even a one-minute process. Mm, mm, mm. That's um, right. You know, and taking five minutes just to stop thinking. Apparently, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. Mm. I don't think too many people have an issue with underthinking. <laughs> no, that's true. Absolutely not. Uh, so, you know, just, yeah. just trying to learn to stop thinking. It's that, like, I do a, a practice that you try not to think for five minutes. I've been doing it for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. It's not once I've been able to not think for five minutes. Mm, that's true. Absolutely. Your mind will, uh, will try and take you away from that. But you kept saying, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And I just think as guys, we, 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 we sort of feel unsafe, certainly, uh, and we're, we're looking to, to protect ourselves consistently, you know, and... Uh, to be able to give yourself that time, like five minutes, whatever it may be, just to, okay, you know, I'm coming back home here and, and come back through the gears back to neutrality again. Uh, where you're not thinking and getting in this pure flow state is, um, is significant. And what I like to do, um, um, you know, with regards to my own practice, Matthew, is get up early, like between 3 and, and 6 a.m. It's, it's amazing how you actually see the world for what it is. Uh, and then you just feel this pure um, synergy with everything around you and 
Um, you, know, you hear a kookaburra, then you hear a car, then you hear the world waking up, and you realise when you go through life that that everything settles down again. You know, it's just like the mind; it can be busy, but all of a sudden you get back to that that not thinking state, and uh, you are in connection with yourself and, and everything else around you. Yeah, um, that that that's a really good example of the, that. You need to find what works for you as well. Mm. Yeah, you know what I mean is, is that some some people would be you get up at what three o'clock in the morning. Well, that that's not for me. <laughs> that, 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 the, the, the truth is within all all processes, whether it be you know what you eat, how you learn, you know, how you think, how you interact with other other people, we're all individuals. Yes. And you need to find, that's why there's a whole lot of different baking points for individuals. And you need to find the processes that help help you do things. The one thing that is a certainty about him is what both, again, from the physical side, if someone trains for two hours, well, we don't stretch them an ice bath for two hours. Mm. Yeah, the recovery process for humans, we don't, you know, when we load ourselves, we don't have to recover ourselves for as long. Mm. So it's the same, you know, with a 60, 70,000 thoughts I was saying is, is that, well, I don't have to go a day without thinking to recover from a day of thinking. Yeah. So just take five minutes. But in all those little things is that we're really resilient creatures. We're amazing. We're the best hunter gatherer on the planet. Mm. There's a fair bit of evidence for that, right? Mm. But we're really resilient creatures. You just need to give yourself the opportunity by taking a break and however you want to take a break, whether it's paddling out in the surf, sitting out in nature, or just sitting with your eyes shut, get rid of all distractions. If you can do that on a consistent basis, that's a, you know it's a really good tool, a really good foundation, you know, to to start getting yourself to a functional state. Yeah, well said, absolutely, mate. And yeah, we're 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 sort of trained and geared to think, but yeah, just having that. Uh, that quiet time is, is really important, you know, particularly for guys. And um, it's something that I, I want to try and, you know, encourage and embrace more people to, to do. And, you know, mate, I was working as a health advisor with the Tassie government there. And when they got the Royal Hobart Hospital redeveloped, I was trying to push for meditation rooms, you know, consistently because I just saw these stressed out doctors, nurses, you know, health professionals, even the cleaners, you know, they just needed somewhere to go and get quiet. They couldn't walk out on the street because it was busy, you know, but they wouldn't actually uh, introduce that. And I just think these are the things we need to do and the tools we need to bring in uh, to be able to provide people space where they can go and just, uh, you know, wind down and, and just come back to that uh, that clarity again. Yeah, it's so interesting. I got, you know, I've had the opportunity to go to places like Google and, you know, I had a, an office in, in Sydney where my business operated out of, and they and they had those spaces. And it's 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 an interesting thing to observe how often they're used and how often they're not used. Mm. But again, the space is perfect. That's great. But giving people the tools to understand and make them feel comfortable doing it that that's probably more important than the space if you know what i mean yeah because the cultures that you've traveled and seen they don't need a space yes they don't need a room a, a seat will do it for them mm. and you, you know and and also they can be on a bus 
surrounded by people. So it's more for me, the most important thing is to go right back to what you said earlier, is, is that we're not taught, so we don't have an understanding of this. Mm. It doesn't mean you know, my lack of understanding of this 20 years ago wasn't because I was dumb. <laughs> it was just that I was never taught. You know, yes. when I was a kid, if you loved yourself, that was the worst, you know, worst insult you could ever give someone. Yeah, Being absolutely. emotional was weak. Yes. We kind of had to learn that, well, that was not the greatest information I ever got. Mm, that's right. Whose thought was that? Yeah. So, you know, but wherever it came from, it probably came from, again from good intent. And it may have been misinterpreted, but us understanding ourselves better, you know, allows us not to be so spooked out by that stuff. So I, I really agree with having those spaces for people, but I'm, I'm more inclined to go, well, before the space, we need to give people the tools and the understanding as to why this is helpful for them. And as I say, I've, I've got a mate that doesn't need to meditate because he paddles out in the surf every day and sits out on the other side of the boat and just chills out for, you know, for 10 minutes after having a paddle. Mm, that's Sitting right. in the middle of the ocean. That can't be a bad thing. So we've all got our different ways of tapping into it. We just need to find what one works for us best. Yeah, well said, mate. Just quickly uh, on that too, uh, we, we're all, all our bodies aren't the same, you know. We have different body types and... Um, now, what works for one may not work for the other and to be able to sort of understand you know your own body and what works well for it and really noticing how the food processes and how that can affect your 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 your, your mind and your, your you know your clarity and all those sorts of things and just because you mate um that maybe you know um six foot three and uh a hundred kilos and you're you know five foot seven and you're uh, 70 kilos what's working for him may not work for you so it's actually being able to be brave enough and love yourself enough as you said so you can actually give yourself what you do need rather than force against it just to try and try and you know keep some uh, some harmony with your your friends or, or whatever it may be yeah it's a, such an interesting thing particularly when you talk about diet because it's one of those things that there's there's so much information available for it around it and there's so many different approaches around it that you know that's that's good and bad because it can be very very confusing yeah so you know again there's a little bit of intuition required around understanding it but you know i'd also suggest that you know you look at people work that it's worth you know i don't the word diet scares the life out of me to be honest with you like because yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of the biggest industries in the world and people that go on diets, you know, they, they change, but they tend to change back. So it's, it's more about understanding the best way of eating for yourself mm. and, and and how that supports you having a, you know, a fun life. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know people that aren't going to be happy until they've got, you know, the perfect rig and now they've got the perfect rig, they're still not happy. Yes. Yeah. So, so um, it's, it's you know that, that that's that's another topic on its own. Um, and I you know I was fortunate enough that I, I just you know my background is in you know understanding that stuff from the sports science side of things. But I was lucky that 
you know, I met a guy called Anthony Nicello mm, in 2012 and I had an autoimmune disease and he introduced me to a way of eating that, that basically healed me. So, so what was um, that like, um, what was that like with regards to, you know, that, that pathway? Was it confronting for you at the time and, and, and how did you implement it? It was confronting because it was totally against what I'd, I'd learned, you know, in tertiary education. Um, but it was an old, it was Westmate Price's foundation, and that's now evolved into different things, and that's, you know, a whole lot of diet people have extracted that and gone with. But Westmate Price was a, a, it's worthwhile looking at. Mm. Westmate Price was a dentist who travelled around the world in the early 1900s, looking at um, the different cultures and the impact on dental hygiene. And if you think about that, you know, it, you can, it's not hard to tell an unhealthy person if they smile and they've got teeth within your rotting. Yeah. So it is fairly heavily correlated, but he went around the whole planet. When I say the whole planet, he went around the whole planet to all different cultures and looked at their dental hygiene and looked at their diet. And he was a bit of a spiritual dude, so he was hoping that all were vegans and vegetarians, but... It didn't turn out that way, but it's very interesting, you know, what he found and and now the, the Western A Prize Foundation. I, I, I certainly don't stick exactly to what they say, but the, the principles behind what they share in, in food is, is very, very interesting. But ultimately, you know, it doesn't matter what you eat, you've got to understand the source of your food. So, Mm. Whether it be a beast or or fruit and veggies, if it's sprayed with chemicals, yeah, you know, if I got an apple and sprayed bacon on it, would you eat it? Yeah, that's right. So it's not really about what you're eating; it's about what where where it's from. Mm. Not really about whether you're eating, you know, beef or chicken or whatever. It's, it's about if. If you're eating an unhealthy piece, you can't really expect to get health from it. Yeah, does that make sense? Absolutely, it does, mate. Oh my word! Well, if you if you could uh, go and pick a ripe apricot off a tree and, and eat it straight away, or get a get an apricot that's come three or four thousand kilometres and sat on a shelf for you know a few weeks, is that going to have life energy? Probably not. You know, so um, yeah. it's all these things that uh, that we've got. Um, the ability to um, to to access it, we've just been uh, uh, become unconscious of. Yeah, I, I mean, let's and rather than you know sort of diving into the detail, that for me is common sense, mm. right? It's just yeah. you don't really need to overthink that. You know, it's and again, it's the amount of processing of our food. Yeah, you know, you, you don't really need to overthink it. That is. You're putting stuff into your body that your digestive system doesn't recognise. Mm. You've got to understand that they ain't going to be good for you. Yeah, yep. <laughs> like, you know, like if someone comes into your house without knocking on the door that you don't recognise, you know, it's probably not a good thing. Mm, mm, mm. But, you know, again, we complicate it, and a lot of people with nutritional background complicate this stuff. But you, you just try and make it as simplistic as possible. So, just you know, so that a lot of the diet that Western A. Price shares is that just understand that 
you know, you want to put stuff in your body that your body, you know, your body can can digest and recognizes. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Well, the body. Listen to the body. It's smarter than you, isn't it? At the end of the day, and we 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 just don't uh, know how to read it, recognize it, or or understand it. We we are forcing against it all the time, and then we're looking for something else to put on top of it to uh, make ourselves feel better again. But Sometimes we just got to get out of the road and let the body do its work. Yeah, it's not, as I said, we're pretty resilient, and I don't. Um, my personal philosophy is is that you know there's there's some fun stuff that you can do that probably in the short term is not great for your body, but our bodies are really resilient if you give them the opportunity to heal mm. and spend most of the time in a, in in a state that you know, you're not putting it under load under pressure. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I believe that people that live lives 100% in a certain way and are completely committed to it, and I've, you know, I hang, I've hung around people, they're not fun to be around, man. No, that's true. <laughs> punishing. Yeah. You know, because they're so committed to it. And sure, they look healthy, but they don't walk around themselves laughing too much. Or, that's true. You know, they, they don't seem to be having a good time to me. So... And a part of the experience that we showed up here for is to enjoy life and enjoy other people and enjoy experiences and experiment with stuff. You know, that's, you know, you never had a problem doing that as a, as a kid, so yeah. and probably got more to learn off kids than they, they had to learn off us, to be oh, honest. Oh, absolutely, mate. I've always said I remember the day when I was in grade three or four where all that enjoyment uh, got taken away and I was sort of forced down this... Uh, competition comparison judgment sort of mindset you know and that sort of takes you into a state of uh um you know uncertainty and yeah you just got to try and get back to it but yeah look at a kid look at an animal the way it's behaving you know in its natural environment all those sorts of things that can actually get us back to feeling what life's all about again and, and the key word you said enjoy you know enjoy is uh, is an important uh um, you know, two words to be able to, to, to actually recognise. And, and you're right, like I was really rigid too, um, you know, with regards to myself, um, Matthew, like I, I, um, I, I sort of, you know, I was really strict with my diet and I, I, I recognise I didn't have a smile on my face either, you know. So it's about trying to find that balance, I think, is really, really important too. Yeah, look, without complicating, the balance is what I do. You know what I mean? It's, mm. So, you know, I've said in the past 80, 20 and all that sort of stuff. Look, sometimes you need to be 100% either way. Mm. You know what I mean? So just, you know, I, I think that if you trust yourself, you understand what works for you and doesn't work for you, you just got to find the right balance in life. Yeah. You know, there's no getting the balance 100% right and walking around being miserable. It's just, uh, I don't see the value in it. You know, you may as well, you know, you might as well be here. Yeah, that's true, and make the uh, the most of the human experience, and uh, you know it's it's available to all of us, mate. And um, I'd really uh, I'd really appreciate if you could uh, provide the listeners with some information on how they can connect with you and maybe get involved with one of your programs and start to learn some of the things that we've discussed here today. Yeah, look, my business, we run predominantly preventative and recovery programs in the workers' compensation area, but we do a lot of stuff with mining companies and large organisations. We work with um, New South Wales Health, and and we, we have a program that runs in New Zealand online as well. So it's, uh, it's the change room.info, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and look, there's we basically use a high performance model, which is a trick word for human performance, as I said, and we cover across you know, eight spectrums really about from how you feel, how you think, how you breathe, how you sleep, um, how you move, exercise and eating, and your human connection. They're, they're, the, they're the foundations that we work off, mm. and we just find breaking points for people. And, what we've found is, is that at the start of it, as I said, oh, I used to think this might work. Now we know. You know, we've got, you know, we've collected data and we've got evidence about people's, you know, well-being, raising their, their, their capacities to work, raising, and also we've also got you know, all the data around the you know, organisations having to experience less um, things like sick leave and, you know, the, people going off on workers' compensation. So that's mm. one of the things that we're really passionate about, making a difference to people and organisations together. And they're not separate things. Yeah. If the people are better, their organisation will be better. Oh, no doubt, mate. You know, getting back to that uh, that tribe mentality where you're all working in harmony and, and doing things together and not forcing against it. And, um, and getting back to that, that role I was saying I did in Tassie, like massive amounts of stress leave, um, all these sorts of things, but they were just accepting it and they weren't uh, you know, trying to uh, put people um, uh, at ease so they could uh, keep them happy, healthy and well. You know, the, the, the lolly machine uh, was getting a pounding at sort of you know, 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. consistently, you know, without getting out uh, or giving people the ability to be able to get out in the fresh air and get some sun in their body and start to promote practices that actually are, you know, are healthful rather than take the health the other way, <laughs> I suppose, which is a real shame, but it's, it's still going on. So it's so awesome to hear that organisations like yourself are trying to disrupt that, um, the, you know, that, that, that culture and that thinking, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of businesses and organisations are now starting to recognise that they, they need to do something different because, you know, again, from a, from a side of just, Profit and loss is that if you're not looking after your people, and you're going to have it's going to cost you, cost you. So mm. they're looking at better ways of doing it, as well as looking after their people. But there's a double intent behind it, and it works. It's it's and it's not where really it's just it's just practices and habits that you want to introduce to your people rather than going to the lolly machine. Yeah, there's some different options that you can use. Yeah, well, so that mean you can't go to the lolly machine. Just don't go there twice a day. <laughs> Often, and mate, it gets back to what you said before. If you're not doing it right, then you're going to end up at the bottom of the ladder, aren't you? So a bit, bit but like like your sporting analogy, you know, very similar in in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'll use your terminology again. Is it's just giving people the tools that mm. allows momentum. And once you get momentum in, in certain areas, is you realise. I'd rather feel this way than and how I felt. So I'm just going to keep using those tools and start making adaptations to it that suit me best. And once you get to that level and it's really, you know, you're really starting to personalise it, it becomes fun. Yeah, absolutely, exactly right, mate. And that gets back to that sense of enjoyment, doesn't it? You know, so uh, having that as part of your culture, I think, so, you know, is so important. So, Matt, that was changerooms.info.au. Yeah, that change room. The the the, the change room All right, I'll make sure people um uh, can get hold of that and uh, be able to you know connect with you, mate. Your website's amazing, and some of the people you're working with, uh, you 
you know, uh, is amazing. And, and, you know, what you and John have been able to create in the last five years has been really significant, mate. So you, you need to be proud of yourself. And I think the best for you is still yet to come. You know, a lot of the footy stuff's just been a foundation for you. And you've got a, a real gift and ability to be able to help sort of help, uh, you know, change humanity and be able to help people thrive in this environment more and more. So I'm really uh, grateful that we've uh, had the chat, Matt, and I'm sure we're going to have many more to come. Yeah, it was good fun, Aaron. Have a, you have a great day, mate. I really enjoyed um, connecting with you. Guys, thanks so much for listening in. Apologies for the audio issues there. Hopefully you were able to uh, to hear everything okay. Um, really encourage you to, uh, to uh, connect to, uh, with Matthew's organisation, The Change Room. Um, some unbelievable information on their website, but also you know the ability that they've got uh, as a team to be able to um, change the way that we um, that we, we we basically see life and behave and, and give ourselves some well-being practices that can actually work for us. So I think uh, are really important. So so please check them out. Uh, so it was the change room info. Um, but yeah, if you just Google the change room and if you Google the change room Matthew Elliott, you'll definitely get it. So. Appreciate you you listening in. If you want to give me some feedback, support outbackmind.com.au, website outbackmind.com.au. Thanks very much. Please share the podcast with others. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers.